Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. Welcome back to As I Am. I'm not the person who usually starts the episodes, but uh, Isabella and I thought we'd change this things up. You know, massive change. One person does uh, the intro and the other does the <laughs> outro, but uh, it's already taken several takes and a couple of deleted recordings. But um, this is the first time we've recorded in quite some time. Isabella's been living her best life in Europe. Um, so welcome back. How's your trip? Oh, thank you. It was incredible. Um, I was telling Jeff I felt pretty burnt out, I'm not going to lie, after graduating, um, Asian futures, and just everything that was going on with life, so it was nice to get a bit of a summer exodus, but happy to be back, and it's been a while since we've done an episode together. Mm. Um, I feel like we've had incredible guests on, but it's nice to go back to basics and just chat it out. We actually are so keen today to talk about a topic that I think has been peppered through a lot of our conversations in sometimes subtle ways, but also not so subtle ways. And that is a topic of kids and childhoods and what we want to be as parents if we become parents. I think this will almost become like a pseudo therapeutic session, mm. but who knows? We'll see how it goes. Um, I'll start with a not so light <laughs> question, Jeff. Tell me about your childhood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how was your childhood? Yes, yeah. What, what was your childhood like? Very about? much. <laughs> going to be pseudo therapy session we've had quite a few of these actually and they're they're always quite nice i will say i feel like i come out the other end feeling a lot better about myself um childhood very i don't want to say stereotypical but in a lot of ways it was very stereotypical uh for the first eight years of my life it was just my mum and i dad was working in china and so it was very much my mother and my grandparents. And I did all the usual Asian things, right? I did piano, I played violin, I did extra tutoring. It's it's the same story and again and again, right? And, you know, it was strict at times, but not the worst. I think uh, when you come across or you meet new Asian people, eventually the topic does go towards like childhood and then it kind of becomes like a you're ranking them on the scale of how intense their childhood was um on a scale like one you were basically you know a free-range chicken you could do whatever you want all the way to 10 where you were so restricted in every single one of your movements so i'd say on that scale i was probably around a six five or six something in the middle strict uh but you know, as the, the older I got, the more they sort of pulled back a little bit more. I do have fond memories of my childhood. Obviously, there were some hardships. Like the easiest one is uh, very quickly fell out of love with playing music, right? Like I don't touch my instruments yeah. whatsoever. I sold yeah. my piano already. Like that's not something I want to pick yeah. up. But, you know, I have really fond memories of going back to China and visiting my parents um, mm. very much learning how to cook from my grandparents. So there's the good and the bad. Uh, and I think the thing with childhood is 
the more you revisit it, the more you realize how fundamental and how, I guess, important those moments are and how they influence your behavior as an adult. And that's going to be something that we're going to talk about a bit later on in this episode is the more you reflect on, I guess, how your parents were to you, it's, it's a bit of a pathway into seeing how you could potentially be in the future as a parent. But before we jump into yeah. that, tell me about your childhood, Isabel. <laughs> All right, therapy session, here we go. I had a very, look, I had a very happy childhood. I, similarly to you, same old story. Um, tiger parents to an extent, but on that spectrum of one to 10, in terms of leniency and strictness, probably leaning more towards a seven. Mm. Um, and I actually think there might be a gendered aspect to that, just in the sense that as a woman, there are extra fears, quote unquote fears, I should say, mm. um, or I guess anxieties about navigating the world that I assume my parents had like had. Um, but obviously that kind of, you know, grew progressively better. Or well, I guess the strictness kind of improved as I got older. Uh, but for the most part, I had a really happy childhood. I, I never felt, even though I was, you know, I had to go to tutoring, I had to take up musical instruments, I never was unhappy about that. I think for me, it was just like, oh, like that's the way it is. Um, and sure, there were sacrifices that were made. I remember missing out on being part of a school play because I had Vietnamese school and that sometimes I'm just like, oh shit, like that would have been really cool. Mm. Um, but for the most part, I don't look in my childhood with a lot of regret or even trauma, I should say. I feel like childhood trauma is 100% a pretty big topic in, you know, a lot of immigrant cultures. Um, so, you know, lucky in that respect, but obviously, you know, I think that's why I want to do an episode. I think it'd be really nice to unpack how we were raised and, you know, if we ever want to become parents, what kind of styles that we'd want to raise our children, whether or not we'd impart the tiger parenting or the strictness onto our own kids. Um, but I don't know, it's interesting, and I guess you touched on this before, Jeff, like, the fact that so much of our childhood is so formative and making us who we are, and it actually scares me a little bit, because it's kind of like, if you have really shit parents, mm-hmm. and if you had a really rough upbringing, like, you can't control that aspect of your life, and it informs the rest of your life, and it's on you to unlearn, you know, bad behaviours, for example, or things that you just may have not have any control of when you are a kid. Which scares me a little bit because, again, like, that's, on, that's something you can control. And I wonder if, I mean, I'm on a big tangent now, but, you know, like, not everyone could be parents. Like, not everyone is a good parent, you know. Mm-hmm. But let's start from the beginning, though. I mean, I just want to talk about where you're at and where your head's at. Like, you know, you've, you said you've had this childhood. Do you think you'll have kids? And do you think this intent has changed as you've gotten older, mm. as you think about, like, the future of society and where we're heading <laughs> as a world with climate change and all that. Where are your thoughts at in terms of um, having kids? Yeah, it's, it's really been very volatile in terms of the thinking. And I'm really excited to do this episode because it hasn't... I haven't had an opportunity to, I guess, bounce my thoughts of someone else. Um, I think everyone talks about, you know, your childhood and those experiences of when you were growing up, I think it's really interesting to try to understand how that's going to look and influence you as a parent. So if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have been a hard no. Absolutely not. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that reason being, I don't feel like I owe it to anyone to have kids. Um, Mum has basically said, I don't expect you to have kids. 
Like that's completely your choice. Really? Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and dad, as per usual, is completely silent and will just redirect his thoughts to my mom who will then pass them on to me. But to this day, no real objections just yet. Uh, and the thought process was, yeah, I don't feel like I owe it to anyone to have kids. I feel like potentially it's just a biological, I don't know, predisposition that we, we want to have kids and procreate and, and prolong the human race. But I just had this thought where I was really scared. I was like, I don't think I'm going to be a good parent, could potentially fuck up this kid's life. And that is an ongoing thing that's going to influence them for the rest of their lives. And I didn't know if I was ready for that responsibility. Now, funnily enough, because of training Muay Thai, I really remember one of the guys at the gym brings his kids on Saturday. Oh, wow. Um, That's and really sweet. the kids will like put on the little shorts and like run around and, you know, pretend to kick pads and stuff. And I thought that was just the most adorable thing in the world. And yeah. literally in that moment, in addition to seeing little kids do jiu-jitsu, I just thought it was like the funniest thing ever, like this tiny <laughs> little human being um, rolling around and like choking out another kid. And I was just like, yeah. that was the cutest thing I've ever seen, which is, might be a really weird thing to say. So now I'm, now I'm thinking like that would be a really fulfilling experience, right? I think yeah. one of the biggest realizations that you can have as you grow older is in a way being forgiving to your parents because you realize that it's their first time as well being a parent. Like they, they were only doing what they'd experienced. They were passing on and replicating learned behaviors from, from their childhood. So we have to be more forgiving um, with them. And, you know, I think it would just be a really rewarding and challenging experience. So now I'm more open to it as you can, as you can probably oh, tell. Uh, that's think, really exciting. Yeah. I think it'd be, I think it'd be a really rewarding experience, but at the same time, there's still quite a few things I want to tick off my, my list. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Before I guess I settled down to have kids, but I'm, I'm very much more open to the idea. Oh, now. Yeah. There you? you go. Before we get into that, sorry, I just wanted to know, I mean, I assume that this decision as well would be carried on by like, or informed at least by your partner, like Zoe, like if she wanted kids, right? Like would that would also influence your decision too, I yeah. imagine? Oh, 100%. Well, yeah. my partner's a yeah. primary school teacher, so that probably yeah. tells you yeah. <laughs> as much as you need to know about her students. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. one of the most maternal, naturally maternal yeah. people oh, I've yeah. ever met. I feel like it was, yeah, yeah she, was, she was sort of born to do that. Um, yeah. 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 That's good to know. I guess dissimilar to you, I think I've always wanted kids. I think I've grown up in a really big family, um, not just like my nuclear family of me, my sister, my parents, but I've had so many cousins growing up um, who are at my age, who are younger than me, older than me. So I've always been surrounded by so many people. And I think because of that, I've always loved like community and with that, a big family. So I think because I've grown up around that, that's something I would want to have for my children. Um, and again, I, I just love kids. I think, I don't know if it's a maternal instinct. I kind of hate saying that just because it's kind of like, ugh, like, yes, obviously, <laughs> obviously like the female bodies is, you know, yeah. we're disposed to have kids, right? But it just feels so like weirdly patriarchal that it's like, mm, yes, look at me, like becoming mm. a woman, being a woman, like having a kid, right? 
Um, but, you know, it is very much something I want to do at some point. I just wanted to touch base back on what you said before, Jeff, about being forgiving to our parents, which I think is such an interesting concept. I look at my own parents and my mum had me when she was 24, which is younger than I am now, which mm. is 25. And that to me is an almost unbelievable thought. Like I can't imagine having a child at this very moment right. um, or a year ago, at least if I was to compare with my mum. And I feel like she would have very much grown up with me as well. And I find that concept quite interesting. Like, of course she wouldn't have it figured out. Like she was just a kid like I am, you know, well, to an extent. Um, so it is very true that we have to be forgiving to our parents, but I guess it also begs the question of, but to what extent, you know, I think there are times when your parents do something and you're just like, I fundamentally disagree with this style of parenting, or this is something I would not impart onto my kids. We'll get into that later, but yeah, it it is interesting kind of figuring out what in your mind is something to be forgiving of and something that is just something you don't really tolerate or something Mm. that you don't really agree with. I mean, do you find that there were things in your childhood or styles of parenting that you disagree with or that you wouldn't impart onto your kids? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I think Mm. um, now and then I do come across random articles about child psychology and raising parents and there's so much around this idea of restriction um, with children where it's like, the more you tell them to not do a lot of things and you sort of restrict that almost realm of possibility of things that they can eat or activities that they do, it really does create the seeds for rebellion down the track. And I think in a lot of ways, I had lots of instances of rebellion because I was just pushing back on things that my parents passed on to me. And I think that style of parenting doesn't necessarily reflect who I am as an individual. And it's not something that, I want to, I guess, pass on and have a potential child experience just because it does take a long time to work around that as Mm. you become an adult and I guess start to mature into who you are as an individual. So I feel like if you could potentially bypass that, create a supportive environment where, you know, you can have whatever career pathways they want. Like I have a very simple philosophy uh, to this and it's just pursue your passions but just work really hard for them if they mm. want to be a avant-garde ballerina be the best avant-garde ballerina right mm. it's like i don't really care what you do just like put your energy into it put your passion into it uh, and that's very much contrasted to i guess the upbringing that i had and i i fundamentally mm. disagreed with even even now to this day, like I talk to my parents about this, like I fundamentally disagreed with that style of parenting. But again, back to the forgiveness point, that's all they knew, right? Yeah. That is yeah, the culture true. that they grew up in. They didn't know this other option in a lot of ways. And to be honest, um, now that you know, we've had a lot of these conversations, my parents are like, yeah, you're fine. Go do it. Go off and do whatever you want. Um, but is, is that great. because you've already reached this threshold of success in their minds that you know oh like they don't worry anymore because you've reached that point where you have like a job and you know do you, do you know what I mean like I do, do yeah, yeah. I, know, I know I do I do yeah. know what you mean but um, yeah. I think it actually goes in further beyond that where now they mm. they just want me to be happy um mm. I think they know that I'm not going to be working in corporate my entire life I the other day at dinner I floated like kind of hate this job um <laughs> just want to cook 
So I'm, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this on the podcast before. Love cooking, just kind of want to do that in some capacity. I mean, we're waiting for you to open your own place. Uh, yeah, look. At this um, point. At and, this point. you know, my, for the first time, I didn't get met with, ah, just don't do that. Do you know how hard it is to like be successful in a restaurant? Wow. My mom was just like, just take a few years. You want to you move to New York, do that, come back and then figure it out. Oh. I've never heard that response. It's wow, like the closest wow. thing to support yeah. for a massive career change that I've ever heard from her. So I think the the change is that not that I've sort of reached this level of like uh, a set of milestones. Yes, that's that's true. But I think it's the trust that whatever I do, I'll be fine. Like they've, yeah, they've seen that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And it's really nice yeah. to have that confidence. Yeah, in parents, 100%. You know? Um, yeah. But yeah, what about you? What is this? How do you think you would raise your kids? Which is the, this is, these are all hypotheticals, right? <laughs> Once it happens, yes, who knows? Yes. That's the most you know important it's... thing. We can talk about this for hours or it's like, hypothetical. like I want to be the most progressive parent of all time. And then yeah, you see the kid there and it's like, you are not going on the fucking playground, no, you know? No, 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 no. 10 years from now, we're going we're gonna to make, we're going to record this episode again. When we have kids, we're going to record this episode again and reflect on whether or not. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, we're both type parents. <laughs> Shit. Well, Okay, wait, let's peel it back first. For our listeners who don't know, so Tiger Parenting, I was doing some light research on this. So it was actually coined by this woman named Amy Chua in 2011. 2011? Um, she's a Yale Law professor. Yeah, so pretty recent history. I mean, obviously pretty the pretty concept recent. has existed for such a long time, but I think like the term Tiger Parenting was kind of like informally coined then. And if you don't know, Tiger Parenting is essentially a style of parenting that is typically quite strict and quite controlling. And I guess the typical tiger parents are those that, you know, are quite authoritarian and it's often perceived as quite harsh, demanding. And I think children who are the product of tiger parents very much, I guess, have this perception that love is conditional almost on a degree of success, be it academic, career-wise, and that, you know, to achieve that love and support, or I guess even like recognition of parental support would require some level of achievement. Would you agree with that definition? I mean, I think that's something I've kind of pulled from different sources, Mm. but I think a lot of self-worth and acceptance of children of tiger parents come from success, which obviously creates a lot of pressure and stress, which is why I think tiger parenting and that style of quote unquote Asian parenting has come under a lot of, you know, fire because I think fundamentally children do need love and acceptance and to place kind of their worth and their, I guess, idea of themselves and their self-esteem tied only to success, I think is quite wrong. But on the flip side, I guess what Tiger Parenting ultimately, you know, hopes to achieve is the best for the child. You know, the idea that, you know, success will bring security, will bring some form of happiness because of the stability, et cetera, et cetera. That was a brief spiel on tiger parenting. Um, let me know if I've missed anything, Jeff, listeners. But it is interesting kind of seeing that this concept has been such a big part of, I guess, the Asian community. And it is, it is interesting, actually, that, again, this term has been coined quite recently. I was... Oh, I don't think I personally had huge tiger parents. I mean, I had tiger parents to an extent, insofar as, you know, they wanted me to do well at school. 
Um, they push me to do tutoring. They push me to do extra extra curricular activities. But not once did I ever hear from my parents. You need to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. You need to achieve this in order to get our love, to get our support. I've always felt very loved by them, and I felt like I've had, I guess, a good childhood in that respect, where I've had very had a very stable childhood. I've had very loving parents. Um, but I think the tiger parenting has come from a place of responsibility or at least like what I felt from them and their parenting has been oh, self-imposed responsibility almost that because they've come here from sacrifice I owe a debt to them and that debt needs to be repaid through my success or through my studies and through what I achieve in my life. Um, so in some ways the tiger parenting has almost kind of backflipped on me and I've actually internalized a lot of the strictness like I actually think it's not them that imposes a lot of restrictions on me now it's it's myself weirdly enough I might need to unpack that in therapy or something but I don't know like can you relate to that like do you find that a lot of things you achieve in your life or do in your life center around this self-imposed sense of I need to do this for my family even though they don't ask that of me am I going does that make sense am I going to attend it 100% and I feel like we, we touched on this in the um the episode with Van Ann 100% right now, all the pressures I place on myself are self-imposed. My parents tell me to work less, right? They're like, like, work less, be less stressed out, go get a job in government. It pays a lot. You don't work that much. It's really secure. That's that's their mindset now. They don't want me to go through and experience the volatility. The success is not an outcome. It's a state of being, which is to be healthy and, and happy. So yeah, so much of what it is now is like self-imposed because I think we're at that point where we have the capability to almost reverse the roles where you start to take on that carer role. At least it is Mm. from my perspective. Like my parents are retired now um, and I'm constantly asking like, what's your financial situation? Like, are you okay with X, Y, Z? Like I put this on myself now where our roles have swapped, at least in my mind. I don't know if it is from their perspective, but I very much put that on myself. For better yeah. or for worse, um, that a lot yeah. of the decisions I make yeah. are still driven by the need to potentially consider my care responsibilities in the future, right? Which is why the idea of like a career change or completely pursuing something that's more volatile is just a very difficult decision because it's always a balance between personal happiness in a way and the happiness that comes from fulfilling the responsibilities that in a way that I've put onto myself. So hundred percent, it's a really, it's a really tough thing to work through. I don't know. Is that sort of along the similar track of what you were thinking? Yeah, for sure. Um, but to answer your question, sorry, went on a bit of a tangent there, explaining <laughs> tiger parenting and whether I experienced that and how that affected me. Um, I think I would like to raise my kids somewhere between tiger parenting and absolute free for all, do what you want. I think tiger parenting, I absolutely wouldn't endorse just because I think the definition of tiger parenting is a very extreme style of parenting. And I don't think anything in extremes is a good thing. I think I'd want my parenting to be tempered in so far that I'd want, you know, to parent my child with unconditional love, unconditional support, whilst also setting like clear boundaries for like Mm. good behavior and what it is to be a good person and you know what are good things to strive for because you know ultimately I just think it comes down to the child and 
them feeling that love and support, which is so crucial when you're a child to feel your parents' support. And, you know, I think a lot of people who don't get that in their childhoods tend to face a lot of difficulties later in life. So I think having that stable foundation is critical. And I don't know if that comes from tiger parenting, which, you know, fundamentally doesn't fall upon unconditional love. It's very much, mm. it seems to be quite conditional on you achieving mm. X, Y, Z. So I think that's right? kind of what I, correct. Actually, yeah, it really does. Because yes, ultimately you could argue that, you know, tiger parenting benefits the kid, but I'd also say that it also benefits the the parent because they would mm. get some sort of quote unquote clout or they kind of mm. have the the bragging rights to be like oh my child did this this yeah. and that which i think is a really asian thing as well to boast about your kids and boast about your kids to other people and you know there's this whole thing about it so it is very much a parenting style that i wouldn't agree with but you know to an extent like i think i wouldn't want it ever to be that extreme but i would want my child to feel loved supported but with boundaries <laughs> how much yeah yeah, 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 100%. I agree. I think yeah. freedom with a lot of things, but I think a really important thing is the development of a strong moral compass. Um, and yeah, I think that absolutely. is where those boundaries can be set in, I guess, like the behaviors that are acceptable. Um, I guess the development of like empathy. I, I watched a really cute video actually today, and it was around the observation of children in, play, in an activity. And it was basically the first time they witnessed this particular child experiencing empathy for the first time because I think what they were saying is as a child, you're very much just centered on your needs and yeah, your little universe. Sure. You don't really consider others. And yeah, yeah. for the first time, like the, the child starts like crying because he's realized that his actions have impacted someone else. And that's why this other child was feeling this way. So like things like that, I think I feel like are super important, not something that you can just allow free reign of, especially now in the age of the internet, you give a kid Reddit for like a few hours and all of a sudden they're an alt-right Nazi, right? So I think that <laughs> part is quite important um, to maintain. And, you know, this is a good segue into our, our next bit, which is definitely, I don't want to use the term strict, but placing a lot of emphasis on the passing of tradition as much as possible, at least from for my sure. perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when we talk about, you know, tradition and our culture, like what do you feel like is really important to pass on? Um, I think what comes to mind firstly is probably language. I think that personally ties me the most to my culture, to my family. But, you know, this is something we've talked about in previous episodes. Like I, I do worry about language mm, dying out one. at some point. You know, it, it is a really tough one. Even now, like I, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm Vietnamese and I'm fluent, but... I need sometimes help from my parents to translate some things and my grandparents and would I be in a position to do that with my grandkids? I don't know, you know, but for sure, like at this point in time for my kids, if I have them, language is 100% the main thing I'd like to pass on. Obviously there's food, obviously there's like traditional things that you do, the Lunar New Year, for example, but first and foremost is definitely language for me. Mm. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. The language one is is really tough, right? I think we can use America as a great case study on the Pascal language. When you look at the stats of second generation Asian Americans and the amount of people that can actually properly speak their mother tongue, it's very low because truth be told, it's very difficult, right? Because we can we can think of it as from a you know a hopeful standpoint. 
it's easy to just say, oh, it's so easy. Like we'll just, it's how we learn. Like we were, we'll just speak to them and they'll absorb the information. They can go off to Chinese school, whatever it is. But from a pure utility perspective, like Zoe and I don't speak Chinese to one another. Right, mm, normally it's it, despite both of and us, you're both Chinese. Despite yeah. both of us being fluent, we we speak English to one another because that's that feels more natural, right? Like we do we do speak Mandarin at points, whether it's like a it's just a fun thing to do sometimes because you can do it, um, or we want to be a little bit you know secretive in public. Like that's <laughs> usually when the conversation comes up. But like from a pure utility perspective, would we speak? Chinese to one another all day, every single day, just so our kids can pick it up. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. I never thought it's, about that. It's like really tough because when you, yeah, yeah. when you look at the science behind language acquisition, there's a period of time in a child's development where they are most prone to absorb a language. Like their, their brain is a sponge. And then the older you get, the harder it becomes. Right? Just think about you learning language now compared to, I don't know, early days when you start you start to pick it up it was just came so fresh because you're just immersed in the environment and you can just pick things up super easily so as much as i'd love for it to happen i just don't know how possible it would be like that's an interesting point yeah like i would absolutely love for it to to happen um i think you know particularly so i speak mandarin and cantonese cantonese is a dying language for, for several reasons, you think about, you know, what's happening between China and Hong Kong. A lot of dialects are disappearing from China because China wants to essentially unify the country under one language. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not really taught in schools anymore. So again, from a utility perspective, I'd love for them to learn Cantonese, but it is such a difficult language to learn. I'm sure it's similar mm. to Vietnamese, right? Like if you're not picking it up in those early years, you're probably not going to learn it unless yeah. you're super duper passionate down the line so it's it's a really sad thing for me to to think about but you know my brain always leans towards the the logical the practical and i just don't know how practical it would be like i think everything else is is good and pretty easy to learn like the food the culture and it's still a really strong way for you to connect with you know where our parents come from where the rest of our That's family true. comes from but the language part is is so tricky like so mm. so tricky mm-hmm. no i actually didn't think about it from like a pragmatic point which i should have probably have because yeah like you know like for example with will my partner like we speak to each other obviously in english so yeah like i could imagine that navigating let's say like a family dinner if i have kids with him we wouldn't be speaking vietnamese at all like i think vietnamese would probably come from me and the child but then again i don't know if they would engage in Vietnamese mm. if English is like the, the dominant language at Correct. home right like I, I look at like my auntie for example and her two kids um her partner so she's Vietnamese her partner isn't so they speak English to each other um and the kids go to Viet school and all that but they just refuse to speak Viet they understand it they exactly. don't hear it they listen but they just don't want to engage because like it's not natural quote unquote mm. for them you know like if English is the dominant language at home and I feel like it's very hard for my auntie to enforce Vietnamese because her husband can't speak Vietnamese. And again, it's just not practical. Um, damn, that's really sad. I didn't oh, think about that. Sad. But it's that's really, so really depressing. Yeah, that's I, really I've sad. I've thought about this a lot. It's a really sad thing, right? Um, yeah. There's a good video online about it by the Fung Bros where they talk about does not being able to speak your mother tongue make you less Asian? 
Um, Ooh, yeah, so think? it's a good video. You go check it out. But I think the core crux of that argument is because neither of them are very well versed in Chinese. Um, they strive to connect to culture through other means, whether it's learning about history and culture or obviously experiencing the food. And you can get most of the way there. And I think that is, I can't think of a better phrase than it's good enough um, and it's practical, but that, that's that's kind of where I'm thinking. And yeah, as you think about the environment that the kids will be in as well, I remember I spoke a lot of Chinese in kindergarten because there were a lot of, I went to kindergarten Box Hill, which is a very like Asian um, suburb here in Melbourne. And so you had a lot of Asian kids and they all sort of grew up speaking Cantonese and Mandarin. So you would speak it at kindergarten and you have that sort of saturation and all those social interactions where you're reinforcing the language, but just think about one generation down, there's going to be less people passing on that language. You're not, you're less likely to be in an environment where you are going to interact with other people in Chinese it becomes less socially acceptable. It's not the norm. Just the likelihood of it happening is, is not realistic, but yeah. But honestly, that, that just reinforces the perception, not even perception, the reality that Australia is such a monolingual. It is. It can be such a monolingual country. It is. Which doesn't really make sense if you just think about like how, many diasporas are you know living in australia how many rich communities are here but it's just yeah like it's just interesting just seeing how like despite that the proliferation of like you know multiple languages i guess oh the ability for people to speak multiple languages isn't that common i mean actually what are the stats for that i probably shouldn't make these outlandish general statements but (laughs) i don't think australia has many how many multi? Do you know what I mean? Like, is Australia fairly modeling? Is that a fair statement yeah, to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, oh, I, I did see the ABS stats um, from from the twenty one census. Yeah, it's not it's not that good. I think it's. Uh, I want to say like ninety something percent is English as dominant language. I really want to. Yeah. I, is that is that right? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, Australia has been called a graveyard of languages. Oh my god! We are multicultural but monolingual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow, graveyard of languages. That is. Yeah, that's really dramatic, but dramatic. accurate. And I think it just comes it's down dire. to language not being seen as a priority in our schools. Yeah, from a curriculum perspective. But also, just I think generally linguistic colonization, linguistic assimilation. I think it's just so natural for migrant communities and obviously mm. the history of dispossession in Australia just to kind of shift to the migrant language. Yeah. Sorry, the dominant language of the 100%. day, which is English. Yeah. Um, and that's going to continue to happen. That's, but that's so boring. Yeah. That's so boring. That, that is so sad. I mean, it's a product of globalization, immigration. Like the, it's like the languages will continue to die um, the longer it goes. And then you just have several dominant languages in the world, right? I think what it is, if you can speak Mandarin, Spanish, and English, you can talk to over 90% of the world, which is very mm. cool, but it sort of gives you, paints a little bit of a picture of the state of linguistic diversity. Wow, yeah. that's a really sad note. And our last topic is also kind of sad. <laughs> uh, so, sorry, <laughs> for those of you listening at home. Uh, biggest fears about, about being a parent, like what, what scares you the most? I think I'd just be afraid of like fucking up my child, like saying something wrong, doing something wrong that just fundamentally, I mean, look, I don't think there's like, 
actually, am I correct in saying this? Like, I don't think a single phrase or incident could fundamentally change a child and how they view themselves. But like, oh, but maybe it could. I don't know. I don't know much about being a parent. But I just, I, I think I'm just afraid of the fact that because children are so vulnerable and so sensitive to their surroundings and to love and attachment styles and all that. Like, I, I think I'd just overthink parenting and I mm. would just be afraid of doing the wrong thing. And I don't know whether that overthinking would itself be a paralysis of some sorts. I think I'd be just afraid of like fucking it up, like pretty much. Um, but also I think personally, I would just be afraid of like, I'm not afraid, but it would more just like, this is a responsibility for the rest of my life. Like mm-hmm. there won't be a day where ever won't worry about my child and like am i ready for that absolutely not absolutely not you know but yeah i don't know i i think i don't know if this is a controversial thing to say but i don't think anyone can be a parent i think it would be egregious to say that everyone should be a parent Mm. because i don't think everyone should be a parent Mm. i think to be a parent is a lot of responsibility it's a lot of responsibility and i don't think particular characters are equipped is that controversial for me to say i don't know i just feel like there are bad parents out there and i wonder if that decision to become a parent came from a selfish one and not from one where they i don't know what i'm babbling am i babbling now at some point i mean i'm sure Does that it's make a, sense? i'm sure i'm i'm 100 there's definitely people that maybe the decision probably shouldn't have been to become a parent whether intentionally or unintentionally 100 just fucking up the kid and now the, the the bad thing about i guess increasing your your self-awareness and reflection of experiences is you do come to know how important those formative years are and the inverse of that is just the pressure that you create on yourself to, to make it perfect so my biggest fear is i i like to have plans for some things not everything not travel uh, I like to have structure and I don't necessarily want to apply that to a kid. I don't want to be like, these are your milestones. Like we're going to hit like, no, 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 here. Like it's going to be like this. I'm going to apply this school of thinking for parenting and all that sort of stuff. And just like over-engineer it. It's going to be such a hard balance to put them on the right track in the best way possible. Yeah, that's uh, not a problem for now, but a big fear. The second one is, and one of the key reasons why I was hesitant to have kids is the loss of who I am. Mm. Uh, Because you see a lot of parents where the kid is them, which uh, for for all intents and purposes should be the case. Uh, You have taken on significant responsibility in having a child, but I am always really impressed by families where the parents are, they're still themselves despite having, you know, raised amazing children who are, I guess, carried a lot of those traits forward as well. So yeah, that's a big part. And and I know that's going to be tough for me because if I choose to take on that responsibility, I want to put everything into it, just like invest everything. So I really need to be cognizant about that. And just like everything else, man, like the loss of sleep, the, I don't know, stinky diapers, there's a lot. The freedom almost. The freedom as well, right? It's, you know, my colleagues at work, because I, you know, obviously I just got back from travels and um, they're asking how it was. And I was like, it was amazing. And I was like, what about you? Are you traveling anytime soon? And they're like, oh, nah, not at least until they're like 
five or six. Yeah. The kids are like three. And it, just because like they literally, it's so hard. Like it's so hard to move, so hard to travel when you have young kids. Mm-hmm. And even then they were just like probably our best, you know, option is like a resort somewhere on a beach where yeah. they can just run off go to yeah. the pool. And you know, it's just like, yeah. like it's just so restrictive, you know, and obviously for good reason because they're still young children. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot that comes with being a parent and I'm so impressed by people our age who have parents who oh, are 100%. parents because that 100%. scares me but I mean good for you but I'm definitely not in a place right now where I don't think I could be responsible for another child I'm barely responsible for myself much less another oh, person, so. for sure you know what I mean 100%. 100%. question for you though do you think you'd be friends with your children oh that's a, that's a great one like, are we going to be opting for... Actually, wait, two questions. Firstly, yes, we be friends with your children, as white people do. And secondly, will you enforce the I love yous in the family? Ooh. Like, will you, will you tell your child that you love them? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry to okay. get this on you at the end. I, I just, like, had these questions. I was like, no, that's I fair. That's know. fair. Um, I love you, Fran. Yes. The reason why I say yes is I have a theory that um, because it wasn't necessarily, it was a very seldomly mentioned phrase in in my family. I feel that it's one of the most basic to expressing emotions and I'm not very good at talking about my emotions. I don't know if those two are intrinsically linked, potentially. It's a running theory. Um, Yes, I will because (laughs) I feel like it's such an important phrase that is very simple but also very powerful yeah, in, in showing um the and i guess in representing the relationship that you have with your child second thing on the friends front uh yeah yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it'd be really cool i wouldn't say i'm necessarily friends with my parents uh we don't really have too many common interests and it yeah it's never felt beyond like a a child parent relationship and i do sometimes get envious where people will do hobbies with their parents like they'll go on holidays together like holidays where it's uh literally you're kind of hanging out it's like a family holiday right you're like going off to do some sort of hobby i always thought that was really cool so yeah Yeah. i would like to do that i mean if you know my child gets into martial arts i think it'd be really cool to go yeah. overseas, train together. Obviously, <laughs> any child, so any child of mine will be a massive foodie. Uh, so, like <laughs> going out to like eat, oh, I think it'd be very yeah. cool. What about you? Yeah, no, I probably would agree with both your sentiments there. I agree. I think "I love you" is such a powerful word. <laughs> think of that Gossip Girl quote: three words, eight letters. That's <laughs> <laughs> a great name. Back in the Tumblr days. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, no, I, I agree. It definitely wasn't said in my household. Very much expressed, very typically Asian way through action. Um, and I think if it would have been something I would have loved to have heard and I would love to impart onto my children. So yes, that's a yes to that one. Um, the friends thing is an interesting one because I do understand the merit of not being friends with your parents, just in the sense that like, I, I think there is a boundary that needs to be established there because if I'm telling you off, I can't tell you that as a friend. I'm telling you that as a parent who 
is hoping to correct your behavior or something like that. I think friendship can only obviously be established when they're older. Yes, sure. yes, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah 100% um, agreed. But that's probably where I'd only draw the boundary. I would like to be friends at some point. <laughs> but, yeah, at some point. But yeah. once, they no, become, you're, you're right. yeah. once they become a fully formed adult, more yes. compass, who can make good <laughs> and decisions. not a shit person, yeah. I, will be, I will be their friend. Yes, I mean, I it's something that I feel like I can appreciate now with like my own mother, right? Like she had me quite, when she was quite young. So I feel like we've almost grown up together. And it's just so much fun to shop with her these days, you know? And it's just like, even though it is a very Asian parent, relationship so to speak because of our age difference i.e not one that's not quite large um i do feel like i feel like i'm with a girlfriend sometimes that's that cute makes sense which which is, which is really sweet yeah um constant same for my dad but that's fine yeah <laughs> we'll get there yeah same <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> same we'll, we'll, we'll get there yeah and i think that is essentially what we've wanted to canvas today i, I think it's just been a very nice conversation to have to unpack our childhoods to talk about parenting and again this is all hypothetical you know hypothetical we can say as much as we want about wanting to be a good parent but you know we can touch base in 10 years and see whether or not our styles or our aspired styles line up with the reality but um i think at least it's a good start to hopefully be a good parent hey fingers crossed (laughs) fingers crossed all right, take All right, us out. Take us out. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to give it five stars. Whoever listened to your podcast, is that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where Google, else? Google Podcasts. Google, Google Podcasts. Podcast. Um, spread the word, spread the love. What else do you say? And thank you so much for tuning in. Well done. Bye. Well done. Nice. <laughs> See you guys.